find the work particularly satisfying as a journalist because it gets to the core of what journalism is supposed to be about, which is accurate and timely information. So I even, you know, sometimes personally I just don't find the question of, like, are fact-checkers making a difference, you know, that compelling. I mean, I hope we do make a difference. But ultimately I, I do this because it's good journalism, because it's the right thing to do. Welcome to It's All Journalism. I'm Michael O'Connell with another podcast about digital media. Joining me today on the phone is Angie Drobnik-Holan, editor of PolitiFact. In fact, she helped launch the political fact-checking website in 2007 and was on the team that won the Pulitzer Prize for its coverage of the 2008 presidential election. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Angie. Thanks so much for having me. This is really great. I'm looking forward to this. So uh, since you've been around since the beginning, uh, what what did PolitiFact set out to do way back there in 2007? You know, our original motto that we still use is sorting out the truth in politics. And the original intent was just to give voters more information about what was being said on the campaign trail, in the campaign ads, during speeches. Because, you know, as reporters, we hear these candidates talk uh, and send out their talking points, and sometimes what they're saying just isn't true. So we wanted to be able to give readers solid and detailed information about what wasn't true, why it wasn't true, what the better information would be, and that way voters would be getting the information they needed to make informed decisions. So how is what you describe different than what a a normal political reporter would do? Well, we launched the site in 2007, and it was an interesting moment because um, the Internet was relatively young at that point, just to take people a little bit through the history. Uh, The World Wide Web came into being around 1996, roughly, and then the Internet was used for reporting a little bit in the 2000 presidential race and a little bit more in the 2004 presidential race. And I think it was in 2004 when some of the journalists uh, were really looking around on the Internet, seeing what their colleagues around the country were doing and seeing what kind of coverage was out there. And a lot of the coverage at that time came from reporters who would get on the campaign bus and follow the candidates around, and it would be, you know, candidate X visited New Hampshire and gave this speech, and here's what they said. And it was just that kind of... uh, 101 reporting. You know, mm-hmm. someone was here, they spoke, here's what they said. Uh, now, you know, this is, this is again, before the days of, like, broadband. Uh, there was no uh, YouTube. There was very little, uh, you know, live streaming on the mm-hmm. Internet in those years. But the, in 2004, I think, was when we really realized how many reporters were going around writing the same reports. So in anticipating the 2008 race, uh, the Washington bureau chief of the Tampa Bay Times, Bill Adair, this decided to launch a fact-checking project. Now, PolitiFact is a national website, but we are owned and operated by the Tampa Bay Times newspaper in Florida, and Bill was the Washington bureau chief then. And he wanted to do a new project that harnessed the power of the Internet, that did a lot of fact-checking, that was focused entirely on fact-checking, I should say, and that was that was kind of the conception of the project of, of let's not do what all the other journalists are doing. Let's do something new and different that people need. Uh, so we focused on fact-checking and launched the site in August of 
2007. What's the process you go through to sort of determine the the accuracy of something that someone has said on the campaign trail? You know, our reports are different from regular reporting in that they're entirely focused on the accuracy. So we're not trying to um, give people a full sense of what a candidate did that day or all the things that are in play in a particular campaign. We're just focusing on one statement and whether it's accurate or not. So we take we take that statement and um, we just do a deep dive into it. We have we have a bunch of different processes for determining whether a statement is accurate or not. Uh, It depends somewhat on the nature of the statement. Like, we're going to treat a numerical claim different from a a claim about what a candidate said, you know, about Social Security, say, in 1996. You know, those are different types of claims. Um, But we look for our original evidence, original documents, we try to drill down to the heart of the matter. If it's a numerical claim that's based on a survey, we dig deeply into the survey's methodology to t- see if it is sound. In our reports, the, our reports are somewhat the same. It's, you know, here's the statement that was made, who, here's who said it, here's the full context. And then we go through all the evidence that we find piece by piece. And at the end, we issue an accuracy rating. For PolitiFact, we call it the truthometer. And the ratings go from true to mostly true to half true to mostly false to false. And for a claim that's inaccurate and ridiculous, we rate it pants on fire. <laughs> so um, in a typical, you know, we just had a debate the other, other night. We're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about the de- debate. But in a, well, let's go even a wider, in a typical uh, campaign, presidential campaign season, are there a lot of pants on fires or, or is, that, uh, is that just so outrageous that that, that that doesn't happen? You know, there are some pants on fires. I think we, I think we have um, issued pants on fire uh, in, in the presidential races. I will tell you, at the level of the presidency, these campaigns are so managed and so carefully planned, that if there's a pants on fire issued, it's usually because the campaigns just basically decided they, they, you know, they weren't concerned with the accuracy. And so some of these, like, um, really hard-hitting political ads were pants on fire. But it's rare that a presidential candidate would just stumble into a pants on fire because the campaigns are just, they're too hyper-managed, you know. It's a Campaigns are major undertakings, and they do a lot of research, and they plan their messaging very carefully. Um, now, when you're saying the campaign, are you only focused on the campaign, or do you at all focus on uh, any of like, the super PACs that are you know, advocating for particular candidates? We fact-check anything that is in the public debate. So we fact-check candidates. We fact-check super PACs. We fact-check uh, viral images on the Internet. We fact-check chain emails. Um, basically, if we see something that people are talking about and we wonder if it's true or not, we will fact-check it. We have a methodology that we laid out on our website called Principles of the truth meter where we talk <laughs> a little bit in, in depth about how we choose claims. But really, at the heart of it, it's, it's news relevance and it's, is it something that the average person would wonder if it was true or not. Uh, you've been doing it for a while. Do, do you have a pretty good nose for, you know, something that, that maybe smells like it might not be 100% true? 
Well, we're definitely attracted to items that sound wrong. Uh, so if someone says something and I just think, I bet that's not true, uh, you know, odds are I will assign one of our reporters to look into it and do a fact check. Um, sometimes things that sound right end up being wrong. And we get a lot of emails from readers tipping us off to things like, hey, you should really look into this, or I don't think this is true. And, you know, on the flip side, sometimes there's something that I think, oh, that's got to be wrong, and we will fact check it, and it will come back either more correct than we thought it was. So, um, is, is it harder to prove something is correct or, or incorrect? Does it go one way or the other? it's necessarily harder to prove one way or the other. Sometimes we end up in these frustrating dead ends where we can't find evidence and we don't know what the right answer is. Usually we can tell if something is right or wrong. Every so often we run into a claim where there's not research on the topic or the research has never been applied in a particular way. Like, for an example, we're looking right now, and we haven't published this, on a claim about about how immigration affects wages. And what we're finding is that just the studies don't address it the way the the way it was said. And so we're we're kind of scratching our heads and still puzzling out how we're going to fact check this one. Yeah, that's that's kind of like an examination of like bad science, where somebody will quote something from a, a scientific report, but they actually the report is about something completely different sort of tangential that doesn't actually maybe prove the point the person is trying to make. Exactly. You know, and a real relevant example of this is some of the claims about guns right now, because there's been a real lack of gun research. And we've actually written a, a report about some of the politics that are affecting gun research. Congress, for for years now, for decades, has discouraged research on guns and gun violence and so sometimes when we're trying to fact-check claims about guns, like how many guns are sold without a background check? Well, nobody really knows. Um, the last survey was done many, many years ago. It's probably no longer relevant. There haven't been any new surveys done. Uh, the firearm sellers don't keep any records, and the and record-keeping is actually discouraged when it comes to guns. So there's a lot of claims about guns that we just don't have information on. So, and the gun debate is, is sort of an interesting example. It's, it's, a, it's an issue that's sort of politicized, but it may not be actually connected to a particular campaign or something, but it's something that's in the, in the public discourse that a lot of people are talking about. Yes, that's right. Um, we do fact-check the federal government uh, when it's not campaign season. We're fact-checking um, what's going on at the Capitol um, we fact-checked a lot of uh, controversial issues, like in previous years we fact-checked the debt limit, we fact-checked during the government shutdown, we fact-checked the drafting of the health care law. So um, I think PolitiFact is particularly well-suited for covering elections, but we also cover the everyday functions of government. And we also cover state governments. We're in a handful of states right now and, and looking to expand. So we cover state governments in Florida, Texas, Wisconsin, Georgia, Virginia, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, and soon California. Is that something you do in concert with other news organizations? That's right. We have partnerships in in these states. So in Texas, we partner with the Austin American Statesman, for example. So what do you do? Do you go in there and you train them and sort of uh, explain to them, you know, the way you do your th your things and and the the strategies behind uh, fact checking. Exactly, we do the training and we partner with them. On our website, we have a unique 
structure where we can share content. So we teach them our fact-checking methods, and uh, they do the fact-checking. Now, where do where do the politicians come in, in into this, and the campaigns come into this? If, if if a candidate says something that you have questions about, is your first move to go and contact them and hey, could you elaborate on this? Could you talk about maybe the documents or or report or whatever that he or she was referring to, or is it or do you go out first to try to figure it out yourself? Um, our typical procedure is we contact them first. We just find that saves time. It's fair. It just works better when we contact them first. We, you know, we tell them, you know, we're doing our own research, but we want to let you know we were fact-checking this, so please send us any information or evidence you have on hand. Sometimes they have to go out and look, look for evidence to support what they said. Um, but the first move is always to contact the campaign. After that, we have several points that we go through depending on the fact-check. You know, we look and see what other what we found on the same topic before, or what other fact-checkers have found. We look at what's out there on the Internet. We look in some specialized databases, like one example is LexisNexis database, um, to see what's been written about the topic by other newspapers, other news organizations. We consult with experts, and we basically look for any kind of um, primary or original documentation we can find. And once you've, made, you've determined that something is incorrect, do, do you go to the candidate then to, to get a comment, or you just sort of publish it uh, as is? We typically go back I mean, some, and say, I mean, it, it, depends on what the, it depends on how the dialogue has gone, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, if, you know, I think sometimes it's very clear that they know that what they said wasn't right. Sometimes they will admit to it. Sometimes we'll get no response. Like when, when, when someone says something and it's inaccurate, it's not unusual for them just to stop responding to the fact checkers because what can they say? Right. You know, sometimes they'll say like, well, our broader point was accurate. Uh, I mean, the reactions to our fact checkers really span the spectrum. Every now and then they say, oh, I thought it was right. I didn't realize it was wrong. I'm sorry I got it wrong. Now, do people do the – do you have candidates typically, you know, when they are found to be wrong? To correct themselves, or maybe just back away from the statement that they said in, in, in further statements. Sometimes they will back away and just stop saying it. Sometimes they'll correct their their point. Um, we've seen that with the White House with some of their claims about the federal budget and deficits. That after fact checkers have pointed out that their number that that you know that their comparison wasn't wasn't correct, they'll change it. They'll like basically kind of tweak the talking point to make it accurate. Sometimes, though, if they're attached to a particular talking point, they'll just stick with it. One example that stands out is um, Mitt Romney said that Barack Obama went on an apology tour, and and we did this exhaustive analysis of Obama's travels and what he said and concluded that, no, there were no real apologies that um, that Romney had cited as an example. But it was a talking point that the Romney campaign seemed particularly attached to, and they kept saying it. They didn't change it at all. How do the, how are the campaigns actually using the the fact checks that you've made? Maybe you've made uh, you've corrected a a candidate, and his, his competitor uh, starts using you or using what you have to say. Do you see that a lot? We see it some. I mean, a lot. I'm not sure. I would say a lot. But uh-huh. Certainly, some from time to time that happens. The campaigns. Every now and then we end up 
in this funny position where we're fact-checking something the candidate says, and they'll send us our own work back as evidence that it's true. You know, um, when we fact-check the similar topic or a similar statement, sometimes we'll see PolitiFact in the like the TV ads particularly like to do this little fine print on screen. Mm-hmm sourcing whatever particular claim it is. Sometimes we'll see ourselves as the source. It's kind of a funny experience. We, we just had the uh, Democratic debate, the first Democratic debate a few nights ago, and you guys have already um, assembled a list of things that you've found to be factual or not so factual. Um, we didn't have any pants on fires out of that, did we? No, we didn't. Okay. We had a couple of mostly falses and some half-truths. Okay. And, and, and so to talk me through the, the process for this. I mean, the nice thing about a debate is it's a staged event. You can sort of plan around it, and, you know, you're watching it unfold, and, and there's a lot of dialogue, a lot of issues coming up, so there's probably a lot of fodder in there for you to, 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 to look at and consider. Yeah, you know, I find the debates just to be fascinating from a fact-checking perspective because uh, there are often a lot of factual claims made. There are often a lot of factual claims made. Uh, there are high-interest nights for the voters. There's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of interest in debates, and we always find something to check out of it. It's not like sometimes, like if someone has a prepared speech, there just might not be a lot of factual claims in the speech. But for debates, we get a lot of a lot of facts to check. For presidential debates, like right now, there's so much audience interest in it that our entire team comes together and we, you know, we we go to a night shift, we all watch the debate together, we pick out facts to check that night, we stay up late, we check a bunch of facts, and then we just go home, get a few hours of sleep, and come back in the morning and and do it again. So we're here two days later, and are you done with checking all the facts from the debate? Or you, you know, not? actually, we're not. We still have a few <laughs> more that we're looking at, and um, but that's not so unusual because, like, debate night, we try to fact check the things that are the big talking points that we know we can we have research on. Uh-huh. So we'll do that first. The next day, we want to fact check the things that are still of high interest, but. Um, maybe we couldn't get it done that night. So, like, for example, during the last Republican debate, one of the most talked about items was Carly Fiorina's description of the Planned Parenthood videos. Mm-hmm. Um, she said the videos actually showed um, the harvesting of fetal organs, and that wasn't accurate. It was an interview with a woman talking about it. Um, so we gave Carly Fiorina a mostly false. That fact check, we couldn't finish it that night. It went up the next morning um, by around lunchtime. Because with fact-checking, it's more important to be accurate than to be first. Corrections are maybe a bigger deal for fact-checkers than other journalists. I mean, I think corrections are always um, something we want to avoid. But for fact-checkers to have corrections, you don't want that. So um, we will take the time we need to fact-check the statement thoroughly and make sure we've met our own standards. But then, like, the second day after a debate, we're just kind of fact-checking things that are just random and interesting, you know? Like, um, uh, one of the fact-checks that we're working on it, right now it, that I expect will go up very shortly is the fact-check that Jim Webb made about where the most polluted cities in the world are. He said they were in China and India. So we're just, we're looking at that. And that's that's kind of the... The fact check, like, it's just interesting. You know, we just wanted to see if it was true. Jim Webb isn't a, a top-tier candidate, but it w- we thought it was interesting enough to do a fact check. And so that's kind of the, the third day, the sort of fact check after a debate. 
So has this been a good campaign season so far for you? I mean, technically, it is still kind of early days. You know, it's early days, but interest seems really high. I think part of that is that Donald Trump got into the race, Mm -hmm. and he's more than just a politician. He's also um, has a business profile and an entertainment profile. He's a bit of a showman. Yeah, I mean, he was on a a major TV series for a bunch of seasons. So um, I think that has uh, brought in people who are not typically interested in the political process to just see, you know, what does he have to say? What is he about? He does have that that flair for the dramatic statement. Uh, So the the ratings were exceptionally high for that first Republican debate. And I also have to say, you know, kudos to Fox News because they did a really good job with that debate. It was well produced. I thought they asked very tough, very interesting questions. So that kind of... um, And with more candidates. Yeah, and then they had a ton of candidates. So, um, and in fact, the first debate was actually two debates. They had this, yeah. what I would call the undercard debate of the less popular candidates. The, the, first. Ch- the children's table of 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 the the debate night, I guess. Yeah, something like that. So, you know, and the other thing that I think you're really seeing in the Republican Party, particularly, is that they have some real differences of opinions about issues. Um, I would start off with immigration. Um, but also some differences with how to handle the federal budget, how how Republicans should negotiate or not negotiate with Democrats. Um, those are some serious issues where there's major disagreement within the party. So they're having a big debate on on how they should handle these different these different problems. Yeah, they're trying to figure out who they are as a party, I think, and we've got all of all of uh, the varying degrees of of Republicanism out there to sort of thresh this out. Yeah. Now, I wasn't sure what to expect on the Democratic side. So far, the numbers um, are the ratings for the first Democratic debate are coming back pretty strong, not as high as the Republicans, but higher higher than usual. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think that's interesting, too. Um, with the with the Democrats, the ratings are, are also higher than they've been in previous cycles. And I think that's um, because the Democrats, I think, are much more unified on issues than Republicans. But Bernie Sanders, I think, has captured a lot of people's interest with his talk about the economy and inequality. So there's interest on that side as well. Yeah, I, it's it's nice to see debates where there are lots of different topics, where it's not everything is not all lockstep. Especially in, in, when you're in the when you're in the primaries, where you're you're dealing with candidates who are trying to deal, you know, try to appeal to the base of their parties, and there's a lot of nuance in, in, in what they're talking about, and a lot of disagreement about how things should be done from their political spectrum. Um, I think it's kind of kind of interesting to watch sort of unfold. But you know, because once you get into the you know the presidential debate, where you have you know just the presidents and the vice presidents, and you know things kind of. Uh, sort of get in line pretty quickly as to what the overall message is or, or whatever the platform is. It, I, I would guess that that's what I would, it would seem. So, um, so you, you, I, I take it PolitiFact is, is pretty charged to be covering this, this presidential uh, campaign. Yeah. I mean, it's the pres, the presidential races. I mean, we see, we, we've been, this was our third presidential campaign, but I mean, we see these, these, big spikes in traffic for the presidential campaigns. I think that's because people are interested in the presidency in a way that they are not for lower-level politics. I think people connect with 
who the president is because it's a single person. I think people who are not ordinarily interested in politics have opinions on who they think should be president, and they'll typically vote. Even if they don't vote in other elections, the presidential races get the highest turnout by a significant margin. So I just I don't think you can compare reader interest to anything in politics the way you can to the presidency. Do, do you see your interest in, in your fact-checking around the, the campaigns uh, sort of go up from off your um, coverage? Definitely. And in fact, the highest traffic we've gotten in our history have been debate nights, presidential debate nights, and interestingly, the conventions. Um, during the last cycle, our, our number one traffic night was the first presidential debate between Barack Obama and Mitt Romney. Um, the second highest traffic night was Bill Clinton's speech at the Democratic Convention huh. where he um, defended Obama's first term. And I suspect it was because he mentioned fact-checkers and urged people to look at what the fact-checkers found. So I, I have this image of, of people watching that. Clinton speech and then rushing to their computer to go to the fact-checking website. So, I don't... Well, one would hope people value value the what you're doing, especially during the because if they're more interested in 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 politics around the presidential season, I would imagine that they sort of value what you're doing. What's the type of feedback that you get from from the public? Uh, we get a lot of positive feedback from the public. I would say from like general members of the public, like people who write to me who are not part of a campaign or not in the media, um, the feedback we get is typically, thank you so much for what you're doing. This is so important. Um, I don't, you know, people will say, I don't feel like I have media outlets that I can trust, but I do trust you because of your because of the kind of work you do day in and day out. I've never gotten feedback like that from any other project I've done in journalism. So it's really gratifying that people like the fact-checking work so much. Now, from partisans, we get much more scathing sorts of emails. You know, we get from the right, we get a lot of people who are saying, oh, you're liberal media, you're in the tank for Obama, you're not fooling anybody. And then from the left, we get, oh, you're just shields for the Republican Party, <laughs> the lamestream media, you know, you're so transparent, you're just trying to knock Democrats to prove that you're not in the tank for the Republicans. So um, we get a lot of criticism, I mean, the, as well. The fact-checking makes people angry sometimes <laughs> if it contradicts their deeply, deeply held political beliefs. Yeah, that, that's a, this is sort of a weird thing about about politics and, and the whole psychological thing about people who identify with a particular political bent that, you know, even when presented with with you know, facts, you know, they may not change what what they believe because it's a core belief and so then may lash out uh, to for the for the fact checker or the, the person, the reporter. Yeah, I think that definitely happens. The other thing that I've noticed happening is when it comes to political rhetoric, um, we don't see statements as being either completely right or completely wrong. Um, we see them as 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 often being on a spectrum of relative accuracy. That's why we have those ratings of mostly true, mostly false, half true. Uh, those middle ratings also tend to upset people because, like, if we rate something mostly false, someone might write to us and say, you rated this mostly false, and it's just the most minor quibble that you have. This, this person was essentially right, and you're negating their whole argument. And also, you know, going the other way, we'll rate something that's not 100% literally correct, but seems to be more on the mark. We'll rate that mostly true, and we'll get emails from readers saying, like, it's not right, it's not right, this should be false. So 
we find a lot of disagreement in these statements that um, that are kind of mixed, and people tend to react to those um, in ways that that are determined by what their partisan outlook is. Do, do you feel that there's like, I mean, you maybe maybe you guys haven't been doing this quite as long, but maybe you have been doing it long enough. Do you get a sense that that the level of veracity is about the same all the time, or do, or is it? Do you see that it's changed up and down, up or down? Oh, since I've been fact checking in 2007, I think people have gotten a lot more careful. I mean, I it's it's hard to quantify, mm-hmm. but speaking as a fact checker. Um, I think people are. I think the political campaigns are much more careful than they used to be. They know that they will be fact checked. Um, some campaigns have told us that they have like a fact check vet, where they have someone in the campaign read the speech or the ad with an eye toward what the fact checkers might say about it. More campaigns have documented research on hand for when we ask about claims. They know they're going to be fact-checked. They expect to be fact-checked. And, you know, it's one of those things I think people, um, the campaigns, if they don't think anyone is watching, which is what the case was when we started, they're kind of sloppy. You know, they'll, they'll make inaccurate statements, not necessarily out of malice or intent, but just because, like, they're not being careful, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, we don't see as much of that. The major campaigns are much more careful about what they put out in ads, what they put out in position papers, or what the candidates say in prepared speeches. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's harder to be careful in advance when you're speaking off the cuff, when it's like a an unscripted interview or a debate. But as far as those sorts of prepared materials, I think we've all, we, I think most of the fact checkers have seen the accuracy improve quite a bit in the years since we've really done the intensive fact checking. And, and I would imagine that the the damage control aspect of it would also have probably evolved, where they, well, we need to get a get ahead of this. We need to, you know, come out and and say that we were admit that we were wrong or, or parse it a particular way, or maybe ignore it. Um, depending on their experience with uh, dealing with fact-checkers. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the particular campaign's outlook. And, you know, some candidates are more careful than others. I mean, I I can see very clearly that some candidates care more personally about whether they speak accurately or not. Some just, you know, don't seem to be terribly concerned about what the fact-checkers say. The other thing I would say is, like, the campaigns, they really don't want to get into battles with the fact-checkers because that's when they're off their message. If they're having to defend um, what they said as factually accurate or not, I mean, that's like time that they're not um, putting out their core message. So, uh, you know, I don't think it's as much as we talk about candidates enjoying sparring with the media, I don't think they particularly enjoy sparring with the fact checkers because then the conversation gets off of their their values or their ideological viewpoint, and then it gets and it gets into the evidence. And the, you know, I mean, when we when we get into back and forth with campaigns, it gets really it gets really specific. It gets really evidence based. Some people would say it gets mundane. It gets down <laughs> into the weeds. But it's not it's not usually what uh, your normal candidate wants to be doing with their time. Can you look at what you've done and, and maybe sort of have, have you seen positive things come out of this? You know, as a fact-checking community, we are trying to better document our impact. Personally, I mean, I do see people, I do see the campaigns and the government officials becoming more accurate. Now, documenting that is difficult um, because, really, what we're trying to compare ourselves to is what would the political discourse look like if we weren't here? Mm -hmm. And that's really tough. 
I would say I find the work particularly satisfying as a journalist because it gets to the core of what journalism is supposed to be about, which is accurate and timely information. So I even, you know, sometimes personally I just don't find the question of, like, our fact-checkers making a difference, you know, that compelling. I mean, I hope we do make a difference. But ultimately I, I do this because it's good journalism, because it's the right thing to do. And because it's it's good journalism, and, and I think other journalists would out out there would like to do to do something like this. What would you what would you say to somebody who would want to, you know, sort of change the direction of their career, maybe become a fact checker, or or just sort of adopt these types of practices where they work? Well, you know, that's a great question. There's a lot of different ways people could go. For students, I would say, you know, concentrate on those journalism classes. Try and take some statistics and research methods classes. We are doing fact-checking partnerships at universities right now. We have one with the University of Iowa and another with with um, Missouri. So I think um, there's also a that we're also seeing more journalism professors teach fact-checking in the classroom, which is very heartening. Uh, as far as working journalists, I mean, it, any story can be a fact-check. I, I urge journalists, like, if there's something that you know is inaccurate, don't just put it in your story without uh, without offering counter-evidence or some sort of explanation. Uh, right now, also, the American Press Institute has a fact-checking project going on where they offer assistance and advice to newsrooms that are interested in doing more fact-checking. And then PolitiFact is looking, we're always looking to expand our state network, so we're always looking for new partners as well. How does, how does this, the feature that you have, the Pants on Fire, fire feature, sort of, sort of help uh, what you do and sort of because you know sometimes it's it's not so much a much uh, as much about the work that you do and the transparency of your process and everything, but actually the way you present it to try to to to, to get people involved in what you're doing. You know, it was important for us from the get go to write in a way that people would find it interesting and engaging. We do not believe in the eat your broccoli school of journalism. <laughs> you know, I mean, we think the reports need to be enticing and interesting. And, and that's why we do some of these claims that are sort of like pop culture claims or, or funny claims as well. Cause it's like, we do so much serious policy every now and then we need to take a break and have some fun. We try to write the reports in ways that are engaging and concise. They're not written for experts in that particular subject field. They're not written for policy experts. They're written for everyday people. Now, the pants on fire rating, that's the rating that we give when something is inaccurate and ridiculous. <laughs> Can you give an example of something that was inaccurate and re- ridiculous? Yeah, we had a recent claim from Ben Carson saying that um, this one was saying that Mahmoud Abbas and that's the Palestinian leader, as well as the Iranian Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei and Russian President Vladimir Putin were all met each other in college. <laughs> and we rated that pants on fire because it just, it was just, it seems like a conspiracy theory. I don't know where he got it from, but it's just, it's not possible. I mean, they're not even the right ages to have been in college together. So that got a pants on fire. Um, we have a whole channel on our website where people can go and see all the pants on fire. Donald Trump keeps saying the unemployment rate may be as high as 42%. That's just not, that's not possible. I think the economy would be a little different. Well, somebody makes a really, what you perceive almost immediately as a ridiculous claim. I mean, you've got to go through your process. You've got to say, okay, why did he say this? How can we prove this? Or how can we disprove this? You know, you had you had to go find out if you know Vladimir 
Putin went to school with with these other people and mm-hmm. and, and what the actual employment rate is, or try to even figure out why he was saying it the particular way he said it, mm-hmm. what he was referring to. Mm-hmm. So that's not just saying, oh, that's ridiculous. It's like... Right. We take it literally. We take it seriously. We don't just say that's ridiculous. I mean, in this case, we looked at what the public documentation was on each of these leaders and where they went to school. I mean, the, the linchpin on this check was that um, Vladimir Putin wasn't old enough to be at university. <laughs> so, um, But the, the check ended up as like almost many biographies on each of these men. So we do take we do take what's said seriously. We try to debunk it thoroughly. Um, we hope that everyone reads our checks and are convinced when they're done. Yeah, uh, yeah, one would hope. And, and I think, you know, going back to the idea of, of present, presenting something to people, it's not so much that you have to say, you know, this is incorrect or this is correct. It's it's making sure that people understand the reasons why why behind it and why mm-hmm. you actually investigated the claim and maybe even why the person said it and why it's important that they know that it's, that, that it's incorrect or correct. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just so that... To, to continue the public and, and encourage the, the the positive public in, discourse for to preserve our, our and promote our democracy. Well, this has been really fascinating, really fun. Um, now, where can uh, where can people find uh, Politifact online? Politifact.com. That's so that's, easy. Yeah, it's, it's super easy. It's super easy, and and that's where they can also find out the the pants on fire list, the the outrageous that's claims, right. and all the link, other stuff. It's a link off the homepage, and on, on debate nights, we're on Twitter. We do a live blog. Uh, we also have an email, a weekly email that people can sign up for if they want to get reminders about what we've been up to lately. And, um, you know, this is our, our busiest time of the four-year cycle. We do a lot of fact-checking right now. Um, so it's a good time for people who are interested in politics to, to, to check in, and I hope they'll want to come back even after the elections are over and see um, what our fact-checks are all about. Well, cool. And, and, um, and uh, on, on Twitter, is it at PolitiFact? That's or? right. Okay, well, super easy. That's the, the key to, to living in the digital space is to make it easy for people to find you. Well, thank you very much for, for talking to me. This has been great. Angie, uh, good luck with the rest of the, uh, the presidential campaign and your ongoing work that you're doing. This is great stuff. Um, and you're, you're doing the good journalism out there. So uh, thanks. thanks. It's a good discussion. I really appreciate it. Okay, take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the changing state of digital news. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also download episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter at All Journalism. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.